This is your life, episode 83. Hello and welcome to this episode of This Is Your Life. My name is Michael Hyatt and this is the podcast dedicated to intentional leadership. My goal is to help you live with more passion, work with greater focus, and lead with extraordinary influence. In this episode, I'll be talking about five strategies for becoming a better conversationalist. I'm really excited about this episode because this skill is so important if you're going to succeed in business ministry, or life. And I'm going to share with you some really practical strategies that I've collected over the last 30 years or so to help you take your conversation skills to the next level. And you can find the outline, resource links, and a complete word-by-word transcript in the show notes at michaelhyatt.com slash 83, as in episode 83. I'll be back in a minute with some thoughts on this topic. If you have something to say or sell in today's noisy world, now you can get the inspiration, training, and tools you need to increase your influence and impact. Platform University, a community of like-minded individuals led by one of Forbes Magazine's top 50 social media influencers, Michael Hyatt. Each month, you'll get access to The Masterclass, where Michael interviews leading platform authorities. Backstage Pass, a behind-the-scenes look at Michael's own platform business. Member Makeover, with specific specific recommendations you can put to work now. A live Q&A session where you can ask Michael your most burning questions. And the discussion forum where our members support one another in their common quest. Hi, this is Ryan Jenkins from ryan-jenkins.com. Participating in the member makeover of Platform University has been a true catalyst in taking my business and platform to a whole new level. Intrigued? Now it is the time to invest in building your own platform. PlatformUniversity.com A few years ago, I was called by a consultant who was prospecting for new business. And he was a friend of a friend, so I kind of felt duty-bound to give him 30 minutes or so to tell me about his company and the services he provides. Sadly, it was a complete waste of time. For starters, the guy talked nonstop. I probably didn't say more than three sentences in the entire call. And worse, he made all kinds of assumptions about me and my business. And frankly, most of them were wrong. Well, I gently tried to correct him, thinking if he had better information, he could make a better application of his services to my business. But he didn't seem too interested in my point of view. Evidently, he had a script and he was determined to plow through it no matter what. And it made me wonder how many times I do the same thing with others. I don't know about you, but the people I value the most are those who know how to listen. And I actively seek those kinds of people out. I've got a few close friends, a few business associates that are great listeners. And those are the people that I find myself spending more and more time with. Interestingly, these are also the people who have the most influence with me. Why? because I feel like they understand me. It goes back to that whole thing about empathy creates trust, trust leads to influence, and influence leads to selling your point of view. 
But early in my business career, one of my mentors told me the conversation should be like a game of ping pong. You wait for the ball to come over the net, then you hit it back to the person on the other side. Then you do it all over again, and on it goes. You get the idea. You could think of a tide with ebb and flow or passing a basketball back and forth. But good conversations are like this. They're a balance of give and take. And this is something we've intentionally, Gail and I, have tried to pass on to our own children. And now as grown adults, they do an amazing job of it. Some of my best friends are my own kids because they know how to have great conversations. And by the way, I talk about this in episode 67, if you missed it, how to have better dinner conversations. And I applied that to any kind of dinner conversation, but I talk about my experience in working on this with my own family. Well, I certainly have a lot to learn on this. I, I, I haven't mastered it, but over the years, I have used five strategies in trying to become a better conversationalist, and I want to share those with you in this episode. These will work in your professional life. They'll also work in your personal life. So strategy number one, listen with your heart. You know, in any kind of communication, words are just a very small part. The intellectual exchange is only part of the exercise, but you can pick up a lot by paying attention to the nonverbal cues, including the other person's eyes, their tone of voice, and their body language. And I don't really know how to describe this other than to say it's, it really is listening with your heart, having your heart wide open, paying attention to more than the words, the whole context, the tonality, everything that's involved in the communication. So that's strategy number one, is going in and realizing that you're there to get more than the verbal information. Strategy number two, be aware of how much you are talking. I'm astonished at how many people seem to lack this fundamental awareness. I try to talk in sound bites, and frankly, I learned this from doing hundreds of radio and TV interviews uh, through the years. And in those contexts, if I don't periodically stop talking and give the interviewers a chance to speak, they're not bashful about interrupting me or bringing the interview to a close. People are more polite, but you can still lose them as the would-be consultant did with me. If you want to keep talking and bore people to death, uh, this is one way to do it. Just uh, don't be aware of how much you're talking and just drone on and on. People are the most interested in themselves. They want to talk about themselves. And when you can realize that and draw them out, the more successful you'll be as a conversationalist. So just get aware Become aware of how much you're talking. It's worth evaluating after an important business conversation or a personal conversation, how much of the talking did I do? Was it a monologue or was it a dialogue? Strategy number three, hit the ball back over the net. Nothing communicates value and respect to a person more than asking them what they think. And unless you're giving a formal speech, every encounter should be a dialogue. That means at least two people speaking. This means you have to consciously hit the ball back over the net and give the other person a chance to respond. And the best way to do this, I think, is with thoughtful questions. And I thought I'd share with you just a few tips on asking questions. These are things that I've learned over the years as well. For example, ask open-ended questions. You know, questions that can be answered yes or no are close-ended questions. They don't generate any discussion. They don't go anywhere, and they really don't provide any insight. But by asking open-ended questions, you get far more interesting insights. For example, instead of asking, are you happy with your results? You might ask, why do you think you got the results you did? The first question can be answered yes or no, and it's the end of the discussion. 
But the second question invites reflection, starts a discussion, and might really lead to some interesting insights for both of you. Another suggestion, get behind the assumptions. You know, every business decision is based on assumptions, and if you don't understand these assumptions as a business person, you can easily make a bad decision, and it's often helpful to ask yourself first, and then your teammates, what are we assuming in this scenario? Then you need to keep peeling the layers of the onion back until you get comfortable with the assumptions. And this is where people often make mistakes. The logic can be impeccable, but if it's built on faulty assumptions, you'll end up with a faulty conclusion, and you might end up with a failure on your hands as well. Another suggestion, get both sides of the story. It is so easy to hear one side of the story, act on the information, and then be embarrassed when you find out you only had half the facts. Now, honestly, I've done this, I've screwed it up hundreds of times, and I think I'm getting better at getting both sides of the story, but I still consider myself in recovery. But I have to constantly remind myself there are at least two sides to every story. So once somebody shared their side of it, that I want to make sure that I kind of withhold judgment, that I don't get sucked into the drama of that one person's perspective, but I get the other side of the story as well. Another suggestion, get comfortable with dead air. You know, most people get uncomfortable when things get quiet, and they feel the obligation to fill the space with chatter. And this happens more, I think, than any of us realize. But you can let this work to your advantage Uh, particularly as a business person or somebody that's in ministry who's trying to help other people, you can make this work to your advantage by just keeping your lips locked and your ears open. The best business people I know are brilliant at this. My former boss at Thomas Nelson was great at this. But when you do this, you'll often find that people volunteer amazing amounts of information that you would have never obtained in any other way. Another suggestion, help people discover their own insights. You know, one of the best ways to mentor other people is to ask rather than tell. And yeah, you can pontificate to your subordinates or your colleagues, but your insights are not going to be as meaningful to them as they are to you. You can accomplish far more by leading them with good questions. One of the best consultants that I ever hired years ago, her name was Eileen, did a great job of asking questions. He would just ask a series of questions. Again, kind of like uh, the unpeeling the onion metaphor, but she would just lead me to a conclusion that was way more meaningful to me when I discovered it on my own as opposed to if she had just told me the conclusion. You know, that would have been worth something, but not as much as, you know, the light bulb going off in my head when I discovered the conclusion for myself. Well, one of my favorites, especially after a mistake or a disappointment, is what can we learn from this experience that might be useful to us in the future? Now, when that happens in my business, I quickly go to the solution. I usually know exactly what we should do the next time to avoid that problem in the future, but it's not that meaningful. And honestly, I miss things. My teammates come up with way better solutions if I'll just ask the question and let them run with it. And it's more meaningful to them too. It sticks better. Another suggestion, understand the difference between facts and speculation. One of my former bosses once told me, make sure you tell me what you know and what you think you know and make sure I know the difference. Well, people make all kinds of statements that they think are based on the facts and uh, these should immediately cause your radar to go off, particularly as you mature in business or ministry. And often you'll have to ask, do you know that to be a fact? Or how do you know? Or can you provide me with the source 
for that statistic or claim. Sometimes people quote statistics and they use numbers and it makes them sound really official and authoritative. But when you ask them for the source, they can't produce it. And so a made-up statistic or a statistic that's half-remembered is not that persuasive, not that compelling, and I certainly wouldn't base a major decision on that. So again, strategy number three, hit the ball back over the net, and I've given you some suggestions on how to do that. Strategy number four, ask follow-up questions. The best listeners I know never stop with just one question. I mean, that's kind of the easy thing. And certainly it's it's your first goal as a improving conversationalist is ask that first question, hit it, hit the ball back over the net. But don't stop with that. Again, like peeling an onion, ask follow-up questions going deeper each time. Sometimes just for the fun of it, and my daughter, uh, Megan, my oldest daughter, Megan, is fantastic at this. But I like to see how many questions I can ask in a row without commenting. Stack the questions. See how deep you can go and how much you can uncover. And be curious. You know, it's amazing what you can learn when you do this. Often you don't get to the real meat of an issue until you've gone several questions deep. And so you've got to be prepared with another question and keep asking the question, so why did you do that? Or, well, what was behind that? So just ask deeper questions. Strategy number five, provide positive feedback. You know, a poker face may help when you're playing cards, uh, maybe when you're in a tough negotiation, but it does not help build trust or develop relationships. People need to know that you're listening and understand them. And it used to be in business, I may have shared this on the podcast before, that I was so intense that my face would, I just have this scowl on my face, sort of a uh, wrinkled or a furrowed brow and not a smile. And it was intimidating. It didn't build trust. It didn't encourage people to talk. And a a business partner of mine confronted me on that. But people need to know that you're listening and that you understand them. So nodding your head, providing verbal affirmation. These are critical skills that anyone can learn But sometimes they just have to be cultivated. Sometimes you just have to work at it. So in conclusion, your ability to lead is directly tied to your ability to lead powerful conversations. But this isn't going to happen unless you're genuinely curious and other-centered. You might be able to fake this a little bit, but it's not going to come natural. It's not going to be authentic. People are not going to believe it unless it comes from your heart. You've got to be genuinely curious and other-centered. Regardless, if you want to increase your influence, you have to perfect the gentle art of conversational ping pong. So let me leave this question with you. I'd love to hear from you in the discussion below the show notes. What have you learned about becoming a better conversationalist? And you can leave your answer at michaelhyatt.com slash 83 as in episode 83. The idea of writing and publishing the book can be very overwhelming. It is hard to know where to start and what is the right thing to do. The good news is that trusted and reliable help is available for you. Get Published from Michael Hyatt will give you instant access to Michael's three decades of knowledge as a publisher, literary agent, and author. This 21-part audio series will tell you how to publish your work and become successful and thriving author. Michael is confident that Get Published will help your message get noticed in a noisy world. So take action now and give yourself the very best chance to become a best-selling author. MichaelHyatt.com slash Get Published. 
let's turn now to our listener Q&A segment. Andrew asked this question, what do you do if someone just won't engage in the conversation or says, I don't know? Well, it's hard to have the ping pong match when people give you those short kinds of answers. And I remember when my kids were growing up, when they were maybe in junior high school or so, you know, they kind of would shut down. And so we'd ask them a question and say, well, how was your day today? Oh, I don't know. And they wouldn't give you much. And so Gail started asking, and I followed suit on this. She'd say, well, if you did know, what would you say? And sometimes you have to, to pull people out of that. I was just in a conversation with a partner of mine, and I said, well, what do you think we're going to sell in the first month? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, if you did know, what would you estimate? And we both chuckled, and then, and then we had a very meaningful conversation. So sometimes you just need to pull people out. And I think somebody who's wise and somebody who's mature, and once you gain a little skill, you can ask the question maybe in another way, uh, rephrase it, or just ask again and be patient. And again, this is where getting comfortable with dead air, just keeping your lips sealed and giving a moment for people to collect their uh, thoughts uh, can work to your advantage. I, I tend to be pretty fast on my feet and I will respond sometimes before the other person is even finished, which is not good. But uh, not everybody's like that. Sometimes people just have to think about it. They have to collect their thoughts. Maybe they're uncomfortable because it's the first time they've met you. Maybe they're uncomfortable because there's a subordinate superior relationship, and you just have to be patient with people and and give them the opportunity to respond. And I think that when you do that, you build a trust, and then people know that they can share and they can do it without judgment. Carrie asks, what role does body language play in being a good conversationalist? It seems to me that this is really important. Well, absolutely, Carrie, it is important. And as I shared earlier, I was completely unaware of this. I, I didn't give you the detail of what my partner said, but he said to me, he said, are, are you ticked off on anybody? And I said, no. And he said, well, you might want to let your face know because everybody in the office thinks you're angry. Well, I wasn't angry. I was just disconnected from the effect that my body language was having on other people. Or when I first began public speaking, actually, this, was, this continued up until a couple of years ago. I would tend to be so intense, so into what I was speaking about that I had this look of um, total seriousness, total gravity, even anger. And so Brian, my um, booking agent, started working with me on smiling. It sounds kind of simple, but he would cue me from the back of the room and he would have this big, silly, cheeky smile that would be a reminder to me, a cue to me that I needed to smile more. I realized that it made me more approachable, it made me more friendly, it helped other people relax, and so I started doing that. So literally for the last two years, I've been working on smiling because I know, Carrie, that body language is so important. My words are only part of the equation. Everything else I say is important too. By the way, you might want to ask some people around you what your body language is uh, communicating. By the way, another experience I had, one time Eileen, the consultant I mentioned earlier, was with me in a uh, big meeting we were having at Thomas Nelson with our uh, senior leadership. And as I was going around the room asking them to report on their results for the previous month at the break, she called me aside and she said, hey, who are you mad at? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not mad. And she said again what my business partner had said earlier, well, you might want to let your face know it because you look like you're really angry, like you're ticked off, like you're not, uh, like you're disappointed in the results and it's making people shut down. I don't know if you're noticing that, but it's intimidating. And I thought, wow, that is an awesome consultant. That would be a great friend. That would be a great colleague, somebody that would tell you 
how what you're doing is impeding the results that you're trying to get. And by the way, if you're in a situation where your boss or a colleague is giving off these bad uh, body language signals, then I would encourage you to frame it in a way that's related to the results they're trying to achieve. So it's not just critical, but to say something to somebody, look, I know you really want to engage these people and you really want them to be forthcoming and and you're really trying to uh, create a sense of alignment and forward motion with the team. It would be really helpful if, and then just explain to them what they need to do to modify their behavior to get that result. Drew wrote in and said, the best advice I've been given is to be interested, not interesting. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that, Drew. I think most amateur conversationalists, or when you're just beginning, you go into the conversation thinking, well, I've got to be interested and I've got to talk about my experience, my background, my education, what I'm interested in. That honestly makes you a bore because the person that the people you are talking to most want to talk about is themselves. And Dale Carnegie talks about this in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, but it's a great lesson to learn in business and in life, and that is to get other people to talk about themselves. They'll walk away from it thinking you're a fascinating person. <laughs> Even though they, had, they might have done most of the talking, most of the conversation may have been about them, they leave feeling very satisfied because they feel like they've been heard and they've had an opportunity to talk about themselves. Lori asks, how do I handle a coworker who always interrupts and talks on top of me. It really shuts me down. Well, I've been that guy, and I've had that experience of trying to talk to somebody who's like that, and it's not very fun, is it? I don't like it. And people that are close to me, after I've developed some trust in a relationship, I've gone to those people, uh, usually not when it's happening because it can create some embarrassment, but framing it in a way that'll help them get Uh, the point and help them see it in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, you just got to tell them, you know, you just got to say this, this is not working. It's not working for me, but I don't think it's working for you. Now I'm going to tell you something. I've had that conversation with my wife, Gail, before she's had that conversation with me because after you live with somebody for a long period of time, you can kind of complete their sentences. You know where they're going with it, but you don't always know where you're going and that can lead to some serious misunderstandings. So sometimes you have to bite your tongue and let the other person finish. But if they won't let them finish, then just find an opportunity to talk to them gently and in terms that they can relate to and in terms of the outcome uh, that they want. And then Adam asks, and this is the last question, what's your single best tip for getting a conversation started? I'm okay once it gets going, but I really struggle in situations where I don't know anyone like at a trade show mixer. Adam, I used to struggle with that too. I know exactly how you feel. And it was always a challenge to go into unfamiliar territory and to try to start a conversation. And, and I'm really an introvert. And so it's, I think, doubly hard for me. But I think the, most, uh, or the best advice I could give you is just develop the attribute of curiosity, develop the character quality of being curious and just go in almost like a, a private investigator. People shouldn't feel like they're, they're being grilled, by the way, or investigated. But to just be curious, to find out how much you can discover about the other person, about their family, about their background, where they went to school, what uh, they like to do on the weekend, what sports they enjoy, if any, what hobbies do they have, what are they currently enjoying at work, what are some of the challenges. You might even want to write down a list of questions that you can ask in those situations so that you don't have to walk in cold. 
You know, the last question you want to ask is kind of like the the stereotypic pickup line at a bar. You know, do you come here often? You know, you can do better than that. And I would suggest you work out some of those questions in advance. You can become a better conversationalist. And that's all the time we have for questions this week. If you'd like to ask me a question, go to michaelhyatt.com slash question. You can either leave me a voicemail message or email me with your question. Either way is fine. I've been kind of alternating uh, between the voicemail questions and the written questions, depending on what uh, best serves my purpose. But again, go to michaelhyatt.com slash question to leave a message. And I'll be back after the break with a few announcements. And then my... you have a killer book idea? The real secret to securing that well-deserved contract is knowing how to write a powerful and compelling book proposal that will leave agents begging to represent you and publishers eager to sign you. Michael Hyatt, former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, New York published best-selling author, former literary agent, and publisher, shares his simple and easy-to-follow formula. Writing a winning nonfiction book proposal and writing a winning fiction book proposal are ebooks devoted to authors who are looking to take their book writing journey to an entirely new level. So what are you waiting for? That dream book contract is within your reach. MichaelHyatt.com slash book proposal. MichaelHyatt.com slash book proposal. Each book comes with no questions asked, 100% money back guarantee. So what have you got to lose? Well, I haven't shared my speaking schedule with you in a while, and in case you want to catch up with me on the road or hear me in a live context, let me tell you a little bit about what I'm doing on the road. I've cut my speaking schedule back dramatically just so I can be home more and create more content and so forth. But today, as this podcast is being released, I'm speaking on the how of wow at the Love Travel Stops General Managers Conference in Oklahoma City, and uh, I'm sure I'm having a great time. I'm speaking probably while you're listening to this. March the 21st, I'll be speaking on platform building at Dan Miller's Innovate Conference. Check that out. There's a link in the show notes. That's one of my favorite conferences. It's a small, intimate gathering, but it's always a blast, and I especially love the time that I have to interact with people after I speak. On March the 26th, I'll be speaking on seven rules for writing blog posts that get read and shared at the Social Media Marketing World Summit in San Diego. Can't wait to do that. This will be my first appearance at the Social Media Marketing World. But again, I have a link in the show notes if you want to hook up with me there. April 7th through 11, I'll be co-leading the launch conference in Orlando, Florida. More about that in a minute. But if you're interested in having me speak at your event or conference, you can find my demo reel, a list of my most requested topics, and endorsements from previous event sponsors at michaelhyatt.com speaking. Well, registration is open for the launch conference April 7 through 10 at the beautiful Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista, located in Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. And whether you're a professional speaker or just have thought about being one, this conference will teach you how to start where you are and take your business to the next level. Sometimes people ask me what the difference is between the SCORE conference, which we also host, and the launch conference. SCORE is about how to be a better speaker, how to communicate with people in a highly impactful way and a way that they can remember. Launch is about the business of public speaking, and we explain basically how to make more money speaking. Specifically, we teach you a powerful four-part framework that enables you to discover your assets, design your products, develop your market, and then determine your value, pricing, negotiation, all of that. This is the conference 
that launched me into my professional speaking career, and I found it so incredibly helpful that I became a business partner with Ken Davis, who's the founder and the co-creator of Launch. But get this, early bird registration ends on February the 14th, but you can take an additional $200 off the early bird pricing by using the code HYATT. My name, all capital letters, H-Y-A-T-T. Don't miss this opportunity. And also, if you want to be in the master level group, which is where Ken Davis or I personally coach you, you need to act very quickly because these tickets always sell out first. And you can find out more at launchconference.tv. Again, a link in the show notes. Now, let me leave you with one final tip. I'm a productivity junkie. If you've listened to this podcast for more than three weeks, you probably figured that out. But I'm always looking for the edge, something that will save me time and effort in my daily workflows. And one of my favorite time-saving apps is called Alfred. It's Mac only. If you're using Windows, you might try Launchy. It looks similar, but honestly, I haven't tried it. But Alfred allows you to launch apps, files, websites, and more. And I also have a bunch of prefixes defined. So for example, if I precede a search with MH, Alfred knows to search my blog. Or if I precede a search with AM, sort of a shortcut for Amazon, it knows to search Amazon. It saves me tons of time every day. You can also create immensely powerful workflows by connecting keywords, hotkeys, and actions together to extend Alfred to do amazing things without writing a single line of code. It's very powerful. But if you're into macros, things that save you time, especially with the keyboard, check out Alfred. It's it's worth it. You can get the full scoop at alfredapp.com or there's a link in the show notes. Well, that's about it for this episode of This Is Your Life. Thanks for joining me for this episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show the love by going to michaelhyatt.com slash love and tweeting a link to the show. I'd be so grateful if you'd do that. That'll help us get the word out. Thanks also to Doug McCain, Steve H316, Mandy in Colorado Springs, McCombaum, Trey Chandler, Becky Brett Caldwell, DA Brown 2, and I've come for rating my podcast on iTunes this past week. So far, I have 837 ratings, which is awesome, but this really helps keep the visibility of my show up so that people can discover it on iTunes. And if you'd like to help me out with that, I'd be grateful. You can go to michaelhyatt.com slash iTunes. It'll give you a direct link to go right there and, and give it a rating. But until next time, remember, your life is a gift. Now go make it count.